Welcome to Wound Care Conversations, a podcast from Coloplast Professional. Wound healing can be complex, and here at Coloplast, we want to make life easier and simplify wound healing. Through this podcast series, you'll hear from our expert tissue viability nurses as they bring to life their extensive wound care knowledge and experience. Utilising the Coloplast three-step approach of assess, prepare and treat, you'll hear from fellow healthcare professionals and experts across a variety of roles within healthcare as we discuss all things wound care from etiologies to service improvement. Hi, welcome back to Wound Care Conversations. I'm Charlie Pick and I'm here with Sam Wharton and today we're going to talk to you about pressure ulcers. Now, as a tissue viability nurse myself, I spent four years in the acute setting, so in in a hospital, predominantly focusing on pressure ulcers. I love a pressure ulcer. Not good for our patients, but as a TVN, I really enjoyed managing patients with pressure ulcers. And it is a massive burden to the NHS, costing £1.4 million on a daily basis. So this is a huge amount of money that we are spending on pressure ulcers. Sam, have you had uh, much to do with looking after patients with pressure ulcers in your career? Yes, I think as a tissue viability nurse, a large proportion of your work is around pressure ulcers. I was initially employed as a pressure ulcer nurse, so that was what my, my key role was, and that was around education, figures, looking at hotspots, places where pressure ulcers were particularly being caused and implementing quality improvement to to try and just make sure that those pressure ulcers weren't caused. Pressure ulcers are damage to patients and a high percentage of them are preventable. So it's really, you know, we need to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Lots of patients don't need to end up with pressure ulcers. And we have some really great frameworks that have come out. So we've got obviously the ASKIN framework, which we'll talk about in more detail moving on. And we've obviously got the National Wound Care Strategy recommendations, which have recently been updated. And again, we'll look at the categories and the changes there and the impact and what it means to clinicians out there in practice. So, yeah, lots of lots of time spent with pressure ulcers. So with regards to pressure ulcers, prevention is absolutely key in making sure that our patients don't come to any harm and ideally don't actually develop a pressure ulcer in the first instance. There is lots that we can do with regards to prevention of pressure ulcers. What sort of things did you do as a tissue viability nurse to try and prevent your patients from getting pressure ulcers? So I've been a tissue viability nurse for 12 years. So I was obviously around when all the Siskin came out. So that was a really big framework to implement within the area I was working. And, you know, that is such a essential framework for prevention because it covers all those elements that put a patient at risk or highlight them as vulnerable in terms of their skin. What I liked about it, I think it's a really valuable tool for clinicians when they're doing that holistic assessment of their patient they're quick touch points to check whether they have done everything that they need to do for that patient so can you just talk us through the skin bundle please yeah so for your a so it's assessing that risk so it's making sure that you're identifying anything that could put that patient at risk of pressure damage and alleviating it so obviously as part of the national wound care strategy program Um, recommendations they say to use a validated 
uh, risk assessment tool, which is sort of the purpose T is the most well known validated risk assessment tool. So it's and it's a really good tool that takes you through the steps and identifies any of the risks that a patient may have that may make them more vulnerable to pressure damage. Um, so you would complete that risk assessment when that patient first presents to you. So as part of a training package, that's really key that your clinicians know how to use it and what it actually tells them. Yeah. So at the end of completing that assessment, they'll come out as either a green, an amber or a red. Yeah. And then you would have a associated sort of prevention plan or treatment plan alongside that. Then you go to your first S, so that's your skin assessment. So it's making sure that you do that top-to-toe skin assessment and identify if there's any areas of concern, if there's any pressure damage present, or if there's any vulnerable areas. Then it's looking at the surface. So what surface is that patient on? Do they need additional pressure-relieving equipment? Do they need offloading boots? Do they need pressure-relieving cushion, more high-specification mattress? Do they need additional equipment to help them reposition? Do Mm -hmm. we need to be using slide sheets? Uh, It's all those different things that those patients are going to be sitting on, standing on, laying on. Are they going to support them and their skin without that area breaking down? Then we move on to the sort of the K, which is keep moving. So again, it's identifying if your patient has any mobility issues. Have you got the right equipment in place? Um, It's also encouraging patients to move. So it's explaining to them that if they're able to reposition and move their body weight and they redistribute that weight, um, it allows different areas to have some time off Mm -hmm. that pressure Mm -hmm. um, to stop that damage. Then you've got your incontinence. So is your patient incontinent of urine, feces? Do they need additional continence products? Have they got a pyrexia? Are they sweaty? Do they need any other other products appropriate for their needs? Mm -hmm. So working in an acute hospital, quite often you just sort of went to the cupboard and saw what product was in the cupboard and then that product went on to the patient. Well, sometimes if they're the product's too absorbent, Mm -hmm. what does it do to the skin? It dries it out. Mm -hmm. Then what does it do? It makes it more vulnerable to that pressure again because you haven't got, um, you've got dried out skin. So it's really making sure you're using products appropriately. And then you've got your nutrition. So it's trying to optimize nutrition, make sure they're, they're getting the right calories in. If they have a pressure damage, they will need additional calories to manage that wound and get it into a healing trajectory. Um, And then you've got that giving of information. So it's giving information to the patient, to the family, to the carers. Um, It's explaining what pressure ulcers are. It's explaining what people can do to prevent them, giving them some ownership, giving them some understanding, and then why they have to have the additional equipment. And again, bringing that patient into that conversation, explaining why, but then also what their options are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's sort of the the framework very quickly. But I think, like you said, it's really good touch point. And when it first came out, there was sort of the big green hand. And, I, you know, you could just sort of go along your digits of your fingers for the skin, surface, keep moving, incontinence and nutrition. You're listening to Wound Care Conversations from Coloplast Professional. You can explore more of the educational material Coloplast Professional offers specialist nurses and healthcare professionals on our website, coloplastprofessional.co.uk. 
You mentioned um, in there about the National Wound Care Strategy Programme and their new guidelines that have come out in relation to pressure ulcers. So we've touched a little bit on the purpose T, but the categories have changed for pressure ulcers. So we had six categories, category one to four, unstageable and deep tissue injury. But we now have gone or we've moved back towards just having the four categories. Yeah, so it's it's a change again, but when you understand the reasons why they've come to these these new recommendations. So you've still got your category one, which is your non-blanching erythema, the skin's intact. You've got your category two, where you've got superficial damage. Uh, it could be a blister, an intact clear fluid filled blister, or just that top um, layer of the skin that's broken down. You've got your category three, which is that full thickness where sometimes they can undermine, there might Mm -hmm. be some tunneling, but you can previously, if there was slough in there, then you would call it an unstageable, but this is where it started to change. So they've now, if you've got a pressure ulcer that's got slough present, you know it's full thickness, you would then call that a category three, whereas previously you'd call it unstageable. So this is where that changes have happened. Um, And then you've got your category four, which is still down to bone, down to tendon, down to muscle, Mm -hmm. but you know, you're down to your your deep structures. That's where the change is. So where previously you would have unstageable, which is now not an option, you would call anything with uh, that sort of plug of slough in there, you would call it a category three. Once that slough's lifted or necrotic tissue, and you can visualize the base of the wound, you would then recategorize if it was a category four, and you did wear down to those deep structures, or you would, it would stay as a category three. Mm -hmm. And also the other big change is the removal of the DTIs. Mm -hmm. Whereas previously, you would categorize um, that sort of purple mottled damage um, as a DTI, Um, unless you can palpate, and you know that there's deep tissue injury, which then you would still categorize as a category three and then follow all that normal day texting and instant reporting you would just monitor and once that skin breaks then you would either categorize it as a pressure damage or if it resolves which sometimes they they those sort of mottled bruised appearance um, areas of damage can resolve really quickly mm-hmm. then you obviously you would you would still assess the wound you would put in prevention but you wouldn't have to necessarily report it. Okay. But we'd still make sure that it was documented on the purpose T tool as as vulnerable skin. And I think it's really important as tissue viability nurses that we make our education really clear when we are talking about the, the new categories, if you like, for pressure ulcers, in that deep tissue injuries are still really important. They're still harm caused to our patients. But we also need to make it clear that Whilst it is harm, it's not reportable harm as it stands unless it breaks. But it's also really important to keep monitoring it and not to forget about it. And it could, if we don't make sure that the education is really robust around these new categories, we could slip into those deep tissue injuries breaking down quite quickly. So I think it, the education is absolutely going to be key when rolling out the the new categories for pressure ulcers. Would yeah, you agree? Absolutely. And I think I think the thing is that although it, they don't need reporting in terms of your datex, everything else still needs to happen. And like you're saying, it is about that education that that you don't want all of a sudden hate um, healthcare professionals to suddenly go, oh, that's a DTI that doesn't need reporting. I don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. No, you still need to do everything and still monitor it so closely because 
there is something going on to the skin in that area. Absolutely. And we know how deep, you know, it's in what it's called deep tissue injury. It's damage to those deeper tissues. And we know if they break down, they break down very quickly and become a category three or category four very, very quickly. And we don't want any of our patients having a category three or four pressure ulcer if we can prevent that from happening. For me, I also think sometimes we get also hung up about the categories. And I think that comes from having to do the reports. There's obviously a lot of fear around if your pressure ulcer incidents increase. There's a real sort of top down. We need to know what's going on. So we sometimes get really hung up on the numbers of category three, the numbers of category fours, when actually let's think about the patient. Yeah. What is that impact for that patient? If they've got a category three or category four pressure ulcer, what does that mean to their, if they're in hospital, is that going to increase their hospital stay? Mm -hmm. Is it going to increase their equipment that they need at home before Mm -hmm. they can be discharged? If they're out in community, are they going to end up having more visits? So the impact on the services, will they need more visits? Pain. Pain is such a thing with pressure ulcers. Often before even the skin's broken, I used to go to patient and they'd say, oh, can you just up my heel hurts? And Mm -hmm. you'd check and you'd have a look and you think, oh, it looks okay. But because they'd said that, I would put everything I could preventative in Mm -hmm. because heels can break down so quickly because you haven't got that fatty tissue. Mm -hmm. You haven't got that protection there. So they can go from a, a blister to a category four so quickly because they're so vulnerable in terms of the quality of life and the impact sometimes they might need additional surgery yeah and when you think again a lot of these are preventable what are we doing to these patients um they could end up with infection sepsis you know not being dark and morbid but people die from pressure ulcers that's the reality and if we can prevent them before they even come then we're doing a good job Actually, our coroner's court talks about a a case with a a lady that had a pressure ulcer and it's all around the documentation and and what actually happened for that patient as to whether you could end up standing in a coroner's court to explain your actions. So it's really important that, yes, prevention is obviously better than cure and we don't want to harm our patients. That's not what we came into this profession to do. But documentation is also really important when it comes to, well, when it comes to anything in nursing. But when we're talking about pressure ulcers, we really need to make sure that our documentation is robust. Yes, I completely agree with you, Charlie. You know, from day one of my nurse training, what was the first thing I was told was if you didn't write it, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that that documentation is accurate and filled out with the most amount of detail, but obviously not go on and on and on because then you're just you haven't got the time to do that but it has to be really accurate and understand and understand the rationale of why you're putting things into place why you're doing the care and the treatment that you're doing unfortunately I have been involved being a tissue viability nurse and many many incidents and they used to be called RCAs um, so looking at the root cause of why damage had occurred to patients and the re- theme that came out of every single one was always the documentation. documentation. Did you find that as yeah, well? Absolutely. Documentation was always the area that let us down, really, despite knowing that everyone had done everything that they possibly could for that patient. They hadn't written it down and therefore in the eyes of the law, it wasn't done. Yeah. Another another thing that we often had was the risk assessments. 
So the risk assessment either hadn't happened in that sort of six hours of coming into healthcare setting, also the reassessments and actually actioning things from that assessment. So, you know, it's a tool, not a rule. So it's not just something you do and then that's done. It's actually highlighting the additional work or the additional equipment or the additional observations that need to go into place to prevent that vulnerable patient. So with regards to pressure ulcer categorisation, do you think that there is a lack of confidence for healthcare professionals? Did you find that as a, as a specialist nurse within, within the area that you worked in that people really struggled to categorise a pressure ulcer? Yes, I think there was definitely um, a lack of confidence in categorising, but it was also knowing what was a pressure ulcer. We used to get reports and they were moisture lesions, they were skin tears, they were traumatic wound, it might be a scratch. But I think, again, there was the bit of that sort of fear factor. Mm -hmm. So they would much rather report everything Mm -hmm. than miss something. And again, it's it's that education to be able to give them that confidence to say no, this is a skin tear. This is what I'm putting into place. This is the treatment plan. It's not a pressure ulcer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we did see quite a lot of miscategorizing of pressure damage. And I used to always say, you know, if you don't know what category it is, write down the type of tissue that's there, whereabouts it is, what you're doing in terms of prevention. You can always ask other colleagues. So we used to use tissue viability link nurses. So they would obviously get some additional training so that then they had other links to to just confirm and to have that conversation. So you you try and put strategies in place and we have posters and, and I think with the National Wound Care Strategy, with their new updates, they'll bring along sort of like those new resources to help get that education out there and really useful guides. And I found exactly the same things when I was a tissue viability nurse. We would often get uh, reported moisture lesions or moisture-associated skin damage as pressure ulcers. And, and I think you're right, there was that fear factor. It, we'll just report everything and then we won't, we can't miss anything. But hopefully, with only having four categories, it might make it a little bit easier for healthcare professionals There might be some challenges around education for the tissue viability nurses. I know I spent four years educating on the six categories and still after those four years, it was very difficult for the healthcare professionals to get it right, as it were. So there is going to be a lot of education that has got to go into this, a lot of change for a lot of lots of trusts. But I I do believe, you know, it, it simplifies it. We've taken away two of the categories. We've only got four to focus on. And hopefully that will simplify it for for healthcare professionals. So we've talked a lot about pressure ulcers today and we've covered some of the new National Wound Care Strategy Programme guidelines. For more information, please have a look at the show notes and that will guide you to their website to have a look at the, the full recommendations. I want to thank you for joining Sam and I and we look forward to you joining us next time when we're going to talk about wound infection. Thank you for listening to Wound Care Conversations. To see more of the wide variety of content we have to offer, please visit colloplastprofessional.co.uk. See you next time. Wound Care Conversations is a vibrant sound media production for Colloplast Professional.